0: Have you ever wondered exactly how a soloist prepares a big concerto, or wished you could be a fly on the wall during their personal practice sessions? Have you ever wanted to ask them about their musical decisions, their favorite moments, or even what's going through their head as they're playing? Hi I'm Rachel Barton Pine, and for most of my life I've been touring around the world sharing great violin concertos with audiences everywhere. If you answered yes to any of these questions, be sure to check out my series for OurConcerts.Live. It's called 24 in 24, Concertos from the Inside. Each week for the next 24 weeks, you can join me live as I pull back the curtain on a different concerto, discussing its history, my personal connection to it, and the inside scoop on what I still find challenging about it, even answering some of your questions. After a sneak peek at my backstage warm-up, I'll perform the entire solo part for you. And then after the show, I'll host a video chat where we can hang out. I'll be available to answer questions and talk about the concerto some more. I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Pretty cool stuff from violinist Rachel Barton Pine with her 24 in 24 project. Rachel and I got together yesterday for a Zoom conversation to talk about how this idea of playing 24 violin concertos in 24 weeks grew out of adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Yeah, so you know, when the pandemic first hit, the last thing I wanted to play was concertos because it was, it was so raw somehow, just the sadness of not being on stage anymore and hearing the big orchestra behind me and being able to share my music with people live in person and hearing the sound of my violin in a large acoustic space. And it was like the last thing I wanted to play was a concerto because it just reminded me of this loss of not performing and touring. A while I actually started to miss the concertos because they're my friends that I've spent my life with all these years. And so um, I thought, well, how can I share these? And um, so really performing them unaccompanied is not in any way a pale substitute for the real thing somehow. It's just a completely different animal. And what really struck me is that in my own life as a soloist, I actually hear these concertos a far more hours per week than I ever hear them with an orchestra because of all of my personal practice and preparation and in fact I even like perform them unaccompanied (laughs) every week because I play a kind of performance playthrough in my living room before I go to the airport and fly to that city so I, I already do this only nobody's ever seen it before so I thought well this would be something really cool to kind of pull back the curtain and give people a sneak peek at what the soloist herself Experiences.
1: You're taking a a, a new look at a a familiar body of work, and you've called it at times an inside scoop on some of these pieces. How will you give us an an inside scoop? Can you give me an example of one of the concertos, you know, Brahms, Mendelssohn, uh, Wieniawski, Saint George? What's kind of an inside scoop on one of those?
0: Yeah, so basically I'm going to be doing a little bit of what I typically do publicly in, for example, pre-concert talks where I talk a little bit about the history of the piece, why I love the piece, my own personal history with the piece, like when did I first learn it, and what do I particularly love about it, and so on. Uh, But then I'll also talk about things that I normally don't ever get into that I might have never spoken about publicly before, like... What are the things that I still find challenging about it? Or what are my personal goals for for what I envision with the piece? Um, what are some of my hard spots that I have to practice lots and lots and lots of times? And and even like, what's my five minute warm-up right before I go on stage? You know, what, what am I working on? So for the Mendelssohn, you might think that it's, you know, one or another of those notorious shifts on the last page of the third movement, which are definitely, you know, things that cause trepidation. And I definitely do drill those a lot. But actually, as I'm about to go and perform, the thing that matters so much to me is just the the purity of line and seamless bow changes and string crosses at the opening of the second movement. If I can nail that, then I really feel like I've done a good job. So that's what I'm warming up at the very last minute, wanting to make sure that I have that control and that sound happening. So, yeah, these are things that people have never been able to be a fly on the wall and see what the soloist actually does in the privacy of her own death dressing room. And yeah, this is what I'm going to be sharing with people. I can't wait.
1: That's really cool to know that some of those high wire acts aren't sort of, you know, the the obvious things where you're moving quickly and shifting up and down the fingerboard really fast. But some other things that are more involved, kind of the singing, sustained things are
0: yeah, timing and the poetry and the character and all of the, what you hope to create atmospherically. You know, if you miss one shift, who cares? That's like, you know, but a blip in the piece. But whether do you find the right sound for a section of the piece? Like that's so much more important um, in the grand scheme of things, even though, you know, you hate to miss a shift.
1: How did you go about choosing, you know, really kind of uh, narrowing down your list?
0: Well, that's a great question. So basically, I started with the master spreadsheet of all the concertos I've ever played, which is like, I don't know, more than 70 or 80 of them. And I decided to focus on two criteria, which were basically the concertos that i've had the longest most meaningful journeys with so the ones that i've played the most frequently over the most number of years uh, for example i did the benjamin Britten for the first time last summer and i absolutely fell in love with it i think it's one of the great masterpieces but i just haven't spent as much of my life with it yet, so it did not make the cut despite being an amazing work. Um, and then the other thing that I balanced uh, was which concertos are others most likely to have practiced themselves if they're a violinist, whether they're a student, a professional, uh, or an aficionado. And so balancing those two criteria became pretty obvious which ones to pick. And you know there are so many that got left out, a lot of the great 20th century concertos like the Berg or the, the Bartok II, um, some of the Romantic concertos that I've even recorded like Elgar and Schumann, a lot of the other Baroque concertos that I frequently play, Bach and Lacatelli and stuff. Um, some of the 21st century modern concertos that have been written for me or concert pieces that aren't concertos that I play all the time with orchestras like Carmen Fantasy, Rondo Capriccioso, Zagan. But you know, for any, anything I would have added, I would have had to cut something else out. So I had to narrow it down somehow. And I think, um, especially because I'm going to have um, a live interactive QA at the end of each episode where I'll hop on a video chat and people can ask me questions about, like, how do you practice that spot or why did you choose that bowing or, you know, how do you. Why? Know, think about this tempo or you know just whatever they want to ask about that concerto I thought concertos that the most people know um, the most well is going to be the way to go
1: Peter Wharf for WRCJ in Detroit. I'm speaking with Chicago based violinist Rachel Barton Pine and her newest digital project called 24 in 24. And that is 24 major violin concerto masterpieces within the space of just 24 weeks. What are some of the works I, I gotta ask you uh, that are maybe the closest to your heart? I know they all are. I'm asking you to right. bring your favorite children. I know. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the joke is my favorite is whatever I'm performing this week and in a way that's totally true. I love variety, you know, and to go between different composers' personalities, different periods, different countries, and just mix it all up. And there's, you know, different things that are enjoyable about different ones. Just like, you know, one night I might be eating Thai food and another night I'm eating Indian food or Mexican food or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean, I, years ago i came up with a very morbid way of answering this question which is if somebody like told me i had one hour left to live and i could only play one last concerto what would it be like i said totally morbid scenario but wow, that's, that's how I, was <laughs> it. I know right um, but i realized it would have to be the Brahms. Of course, the violin that I spend my life with, um, my lifelong companion since 2001, is um, the uh, Expositi Ex Soldat 1742 Guarneri del Jesu, which was the concert instrument of one of Brahms's proteges and close chamber music companions, Marie Soldat. And this violin was personally chosen for her by Brahms himself. Um, but all of that aside, um, even before I met this violin and even before I had those lessons with Professor Schulz, Um, The Brahms has always been very close to my heart. I just think it's just so majestic and it speaks about somehow the, um, you know, it's like about creation itself or something. Other concertos get into more of the human condition, but the Brahms is just, you know, glorifying, um, you know, something larger than ourselves somehow. Check it out,
1: it's called 24 in 24 from Rachel Barton Pine starting January the 10th. Thanks, Rachel.
0: Thanks so much. It's great to see you, Peter.
1: Great to see you for WRCJ. I'm Peter Warp.